is up and welcome to episode two of Neo Cinetech, where we break down the intersection of filmmaking and new technology. This episode is titled, What is a Virtual Gaffer? And I'm going to be doing my best to explain what the hell that actually means. What is a virtual gaffer? Why would you ever need such a thing? That is what this episode is all about. So before we start this episode, if you have no idea what this is about, definitely head over to the Cinematography Database YouTube channel. There's going to be a video there called Next Level Cinematography Tech, which partially inspired the name of this podcast. It has about 3 million views, went proper viral. I would definitely watch that entire clip. It's only like two minutes. And then if you haven't already, head over to Instagram, go to CinematographyDB, that is our Instagram company page and look for a vertical Instagram TV video or episode, whatever we call it over there, that has a behind the scenes clip of me with a crane on the bottom and then what the, ca- what the crane and the camera is seeing above. And that one's actually very explicitly talking about what a virtual gaffer does. Take a minute, go check out the YouTube video, go check out the Instagram, and that's gonna give you all the visuals that you're gonna need for this podcast. Hopefully this episode still makes sense if you decide not to do that, but if you wanna actually see this, this should definitely prompt some questions for you once you watch it. So I'll give you a minute, I'm gonna drink some water, go check that stuff out. Well, that was a great water break for me. I hope you enjoyed checking those out. If you didn't, hopefully again, this still makes sense. So let's go over the overview for this episode. It's gonna be something like this. We're gonna be talking about what is the setup? Like what is going on there? What's what's the physical setup? Then we're gonna be uh, checking out what was the project? Like why was that put together? Who were the main players? How did I get involved? What was the timeline of the project? What are the new concepts for filmmakers? Uh, by working in such a studio in space? Why should directors and DPs care? Who controls the virtual set? What does this mean for production? Takeaways for DPs and future projects. So that's the outline of the episode. Uh, Eventually when I get organized enough with this, we'll probably have the show notes where you can skip around to those ones, but I haven't started doing that just yet. So without further ado, let's get right into this. So what is the actual setup here? So We have a live action set, and for our demo, it's really pretty small. I think it's like 20 by 20, something like that, on the ground, and it's covered with dirt uh, because we're trying to create a virtual slash hybrid world where we have an actor in the desert, essentially. And what we're doing is we're surrounding this actor in this live action set with LED walls, right? So these aren't your typical LED TVs, these are modular panels of LEDs that are set up mostly for live events. So if you go to like a gigantic modern uh, concert, you're gonna see these huge screens and they're made up of these little modular pieces and they're extremely bright. And for the last couple of years, the quality on them has been getting significantly better. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about the LED screen tech in just a bit. But the point of surrounding this live action set with LED walls is that you can basically put real world people and props and some sets, you can put that into a virtual world without needing to use a green screen. You just put the virtual environment on the LED screens. The camera is going to capture the real world and the LED screens at the same time. And it's a new way of essentially 
live compositing or doing virtual production, however you want to call it, we're able to put real people into virtual worlds, but do it all in camera. So we're not doing green screen and then doing it later. It's all happening at once. And not only are we putting LEDs to capture the backgrounds, we're also using LEDs above and around and in the front in some cases. And those LEDs are actually lighting the talent and the virtual world, or the real world rather. And because it's completely surrounded, not in our demo necessarily, but on the bigger productions, they completely surround the live action set. The reflections in the real world set are also of the virtual environment. So it's this really very cool evolution of, you know, green screen and VFX and virtual production, which we talked about a little bit on the last episode. It's a great evolution of all of this because it brings all of the really great technologies together to make it a more intuitive process on set. So again, instead of having green screens, you're going to have LED walls with the actual final image back there in many cases, and everyone gets to see it at the same time. So that is the setup. So after that description, if you still haven't seen the YouTube video or the Instagram video, definitely go check those out. You'll see what I mean there. So what was this project and like, why would this thing be going down? So the point of this project was to prove to the industry and you know people that are interested in using this technology today, it was to prove that this is actually possible with quote unquote, kind of like off the shelf services, right? This isn't stuff that's completely proprietary. This is stuff that can be done fairly easily. Again, we're talking easily for pretty big movie studios and television studios, but it isn't like this closed black box where only certain people can do it. This is being done um, by multiple companies and pretty much anyone at that level can pull this off. And again, when I say anyone, I mean the big movie studios primarily. So the point of this project, again, was to prove that this is possible. And there was a, or there is a really big production that we'll talk about in the near future that did this, but not everyone was able to come visit that set and see it. So we were trying to make a smaller version of it to present at SIGGRAPH 2019, which is a really big computer graphics conference, but it was in LA this year. So it was computer graphics very heavily mixed with the proper film industry. So uh, Unreal Engine, Epic Games, they're powering the 3D graphics in the screen and they were the main I don't know what we're going to call this, sponsor or organizer of this project. It was a collaboration between multiple companies, which we'll talk about each one individually. And they put together this demo. It's a smaller version of the bigger stages. And uh, the point was to show that this is possible using Unreal Engine primarily as the driver. It's what's generating the images. It's doing the spherical projections and all this other technical stuff that DPs and directors don't have to really worry about, but Unreal Engine's handling most of the heavy lifting there. Being able to stitch together multiple gigantic LED walls and scale those up, that is now part of Unreal Engine. It's something called N-Display. Again, kind of technical things, but all of that tech and software, it's all actually available for free, which is the crazy part in Unreal Engine. And then we had a couple different vendors that were helping us out with some of the um, very specific services that are needed to make this stage work. But all this stuff is possible working with Unreal Engine and working with, you know, your vendor for the different camera tracking solutions, etc. So what we did was set up this demo, make sure that it looked good. We tried to figure out, you know, what setups look best in this size volume. It's always a little bit of, um, of finding and experimenting kind of a project for sure, pushing the boundaries. There's no real 
handbook on this yet. It's slowly being standardized. And we got this up and running and we recorded a behind the scenes video, which is the one I put on my YouTube channel that went viral. It was also shown at the Unreal Engine user group uh, for SIGGRAPH. And it's just a really good showpiece for Unreal Engine and virtual production and kind of the direction that visual effects is moving in, at least for live action based productions. And on top of making this vi these videos that go out to everyone in the world, we actually did about two weeks of live demos for the industry. So like every major movie studio, television studio, VFX company, we had the ASC come, the American Society of Cinematographers. We had ICG, which is the International Cinematographers Guild. We had everyone in LA come out to this that would need to be on board with it, need to understand what this is and get to see it in person. We did this for two weeks where I ran demos with the team. Like, I think we did like 10 a day. It was a, it was a lot of work, but again, people needed to see this in person to really like sign off on it. And they really did, which is really awesome. So we're gonna be seeing a lot of these volumes going out. We're gonna see these in production over the next couple of years. And I was really happy to be part of, um, it's basically first presentation to the industry. So that's why the project was put together. Again, we just wanted to show people that it is possible it's not like easy, I wouldn't say at this point, but it is possible. All the pieces are there, it's working, and enough people came and saw it that we're starting to see these stages go up now and they're kind of being uh, signed off on. So it's pretty exciting. So now we're gonna break it down uh, a little bit further into who were the main players, like who who was necessary to make this demo possible and you know what were they doing, what were their roles? So the first one is Epic Games that makes Unreal Engine. And Unreal Engine, is very interested in the filmmaking space, right? So Unreal Engine right now currently is fueling and powering pretty much all of the augmented reality virtual production stuff you'll see in broadcast. They already hold that very strongly. So if you're watching the Weather Channel and you're seeing like trees fall down and them visualizing like these full 3D worlds around their um, presenters, that's all Unreal Engine. Uh, same with like NASCAR, like the 3D cars popping up and characters and League of Legends esports events where there's dragons flying around. Anywhere where they're live comping virtual characters or virtual sets, all that stuff is powered by Unreal Engine. So that's all broadcast. And now they've been in the, the cinematic space for quite a while as well. But with this uh, switch to actually powering the graphics that are actually final pixel captured in camera, this is why Unreal Engine's really interested in this space. The next big player for this setup specifically is a company called Lux Machina. And Phil Galler and uh, Chris Murray were my main contacts there. And to give you some context about what that company does, because any of these new tech companies, it is a little bit tricky to just drop a one sentence on like, oh, this is what they do. But if you remember the movie Oblivion, and if you saw the behind the scenes of it, they essentially took a very reflective, shiny set that was like had a lot of glass in it and would have been a nightmare for green screen. They basically went and did plate photography in Hawaii, I believe, and they shot 360 video panoramics for like weeks and captured all these skies and environments. And then they used uh, an array to project onto a dome, essentially, that image. Okay, that's not the best description. But they essentially took... Uh, 360 video footage and they put it onto projectors 
and then they capture that through the camera. So you should go check out the behind the scenes of Oblivion if that makes absolutely no sense to you. But they were on that. I think they were on Gravity. I don't remember. But all the big movies that have been using LED screens and projectors and combining those together, they were part of that synthesis. And they're doing a lot of other stuff as well. But for the film industry, that's the stuff that they were working on. So... They also worked on this other really big project that we get to talk about in the future. I'm very excited about it. I feel like that'll be the first interview podcast I do. I would love to have the DP on who worked on that. We've been talking a little bit. And so when it comes to consulting, like if a studio wants to set up their own LED screens or projectors and get this all running and synchronized to a film camera shutter and all the very specific workflow needs and pipeline considerations that are needed for a film project, right? Not a live concert necessarily, though they do that too. There's a lot of nuances technology-wise to make this work for the film industry. They've been doing that for years. And so they came in, we actually hosted the whole demo at their new studio in downtown LA. They have all the technology and the programmers and the engineers that have this very unique uh, skill set and experience on set of doing this type of setup. They were a huge component of this and they're building a lot of really cool stuff for Unreal Engine as well. So next is Profile Studios and Matt Madden was um, uh, my main contact. And what they basically do, again, hard to put it into one sentence, but what they were doing for this project was providing the camera tracking solution. So one of the main things you need to do for virtual production where you have real cameras, real people in a virtual environment is you need to sync the virtual cameras with the live action cameras. That's just the high level view. If you're a DP, a director, you never have to worry about that. That's someone else is handling that. But camera tracking is a big part of the industry moving forward in broadcast. Every single camera is being tracked. And there's a lot of different companies that make solutions for this, the hardware, the software. The big players are Stipe, NCAM, Mosis, uh, Prevision, there's a whole bunch more OptiTrack, Vi, Via something. I forget what the what the other Vicon, yeah, Vicon. Um, these aren't companies that you're as the film industry production people are going to deal with directly, but you'll probably see their names out there, and there'll be things stuck on the cameras that look kind of funny. That's for camera tracking, and Profile Studios was engineering that using their custom solutions and their hardware and their experience working on bigger productions that were doing something similar to this. They came in and they made sure that the cameras were being tracked and anything where we needed to know the real world position of an object in the virtual world as well, they were handling all of that as well. And Matt Madden, as we'll be getting into, spoil, spoiler alert, Matt Madden from Profile Studios, he is the virtual gaffer, which we'll be getting into uh, in the future. So the next company involved was Magnopus. And if you listen to the Lion King production breakdown podcast before this, you'll know a little bit more about Magnopus. So Ben Grossman, Fernando, and AJ, they were all on set with this. And their primary contribution on this project was to provide VR scouting tools. So the exact same tool set, pretty much, that was used for the Lion King, that tool set is now being built directly into Unreal Engine. And um, this podcast will come out before it's available to everyone, but Unreal Engine 4.23, which is the next update that should come out, hopefully by like October or something like that, those VR tool sets are going to be available for free in Unreal Engine. So if you're super interested in it, you can go pick up a Vive Pro and a pretty decent PC with a nice, probably I would just straight out say a 2080 Ti to power that 
you can use the Lion King tools in Unreal Engine. So that is exactly what they were doing. We got to use them um, before the general public release and they were doing some VR scouting and also some VR um, art department stuff in there. So if I needed someone to move a rock or do some kind of changes like that, or it's better to be in VR, better to see it in kind of like quote unquote 3D and be immersed in it, they were in there the entire time. And so for the people that I think that listen to this podcast, very likely few of you have actually opened Unreal Engine, but you can imagine that we're in a 3D environment, a video game. And I think the, the closest analogy I want to make right now is that you're used to playing these you know, video games, quote unquote, or 3D programs. You're used to just doing it by yourself, right? Well, with the new Unreal Engine, what you can do is you can basically use Unreal Engine, which is basically for all intents and purposes, like a 3D program, right? You're moving 3D things around. You can do this with multiple people connected to the same session. So it's essentially making 3D production environments multiplayer. They're like multiplayer video games. So if you watch some of the videos, like I'd said, and you look at the Instagram posts, you'll see that there's these like little 3D characters floating around in the environment everywhere. And essentially I'm controlling the camera and the lighting, but we have people connected to it who are Fernando and AJ. They are actually in the same quote unquote video game with me and they can make these changes to the environment at the same time. So it's pretty, pretty trippy. You should go check out the videos on it. It's, it's really interesting to be on set with it though, because despite all of this technology and these, you know, kind of concepts you have to get over in your head, once you actually start shooting with a virtual world, it actually makes a lot of sense. It's just like being on set again. So you're looking through the camera, you see the virtual world, you're like, well, what if, can we move that mountain or can I make it like a little bit darker back there? And there's some new concepts with 3D power windows. Like, I mean like three dimensional power windows really. And instead of it being this like really technical process of like, oh, this is like, you know, you have to click this button and whatnot. It's actually pretty intuitive because you just ask the VR art department people who they know all the technical stuff. You just ask them to make the changes like it was a real live action production. And that's a lot of what Magnopus was doing on this job. Another component of this production was from Quixel. So Quixel is a company that scans the real world, essentially like materials, mountains, all sorts of like everything. Their job, their specialty is scanning the real world and they make those assets available to basically anyone. And they're used on like every major movie and video game at this point. And we actually use them in Cinetracer as well. I licensed them from them. And they were uh, instrumental in creating the actual virtual set in this case. So they went out to Iceland and they scanned a bunch of awesome Iceland materials and mountains. And I think they might've photographed the skies for us as well. And so they take all of this like real world 3D source material and they make it so that basically anyone can create photorealistic environments. And we had their head evangelist there, Galen, and he helped us build out the sets. You know, he's like their professional US uh, ambassador slash evangelist. And, you know, he was also part of SIGGRAPH Live and a whole bunch of awesome presentations. And he was on set with us actually art directing and building a lot of the actual virtual world. So you look at the virtual world uh, from the demo that was being hand built by the company that really knows what they're doing when it comes to building real time uh, virtual environments. So shout out Quixel and the mega scans. And um, last but not least, there's a, there's a whole bunch of people, but the last company 
that was a big player in this was Ari. So pretty awesome. I got to meet a bunch of, uh, or one Ari color scientist and just like a ton of Ari people. So shout out Ari. They provided us the Ari Alexa LF, so the large format sensor camera was great. We were gonna use the mini LF, but actually the full body version of it was a little bit more helpful because we had so many outputs going out and full DIT, full VTR, full everything. So we really needed like the full body. So they provided us the camera and I think the lens, I forget. We ended up using a zoom just for speed. Uh, I wanted to shoot with the new uh, Fujinon Premierista, but it wasn't out in the US yet. I saw it just came out. I got the email blast. It just came out for sale. Uh, but we couldn't get that one. We used a Zeiss Compact Zoom 28 to 80. That's a great lens too. Uh, I just liked the 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 Premierista. I think goes to 100 mil, so slightly longer would have been kind of fun. But anyway, Airy came out. They gave us the camera, and they also were instrumental in us being able to reverse engineer the color science. I say us. I had nothing to do with that process, but I did watch them do it. I talked to the color scientists from Epic and from Airy a little bit. It was kind of fun to have my mind blown. But anyway. This is stuff that Epic Games is doing to make sure that the LED walls, I mean, combined with Lux Machina as well, but making sure that all of this looks great through the camera, specifically for the Airy Alexa, Airy Raw, and their color science. And it also worked. We had a DXL2 as well. It works for that workflow as well. So those are the main players. And so if I'm mentioning those companies, that is, you can come back and listen to this again. It's a, it's a mouthful. Those are the people that were there to make this project happen. So those are all really cool big companies that have been working on some like amazing projects overall. So the next part is how did my ass get involved in this project? I mean, this is like way, way out of my league. Like these people have been um, specifically together working on a very big project that we'll talk about soon and really, really big things. So how did I get involved in this? I've been like on YouTube and whatnot for the last five years. Right, haven't been exactly in the film industry, so to speak, I wouldn't say. Well, uh, for the last five years, I have been building out, I would, I don't even know what we call this, like cinematography visualization tools, right? So I've been building them in Maya, in Cinema 4D, that's Cine Designer. And uh, about a year ago, maybe like more like a year and a half ago, Epic Games actually reached out to me and asked me if I'd be interested in building those tools in Unreal Engine. And it took a little while for me to, you know, consider disrupting my entire workflow and having to learn Unreal Engine from scratch. I didn't know anything about it, but I looked into it and it seemed to me that this was the direction of everything, not just video game graphics or not even just visual effects or previs, but the direction of the entire uh, visualization industry. So film industry, like everything. It seemed like this was the move and I, I bought it, I was into it, started building CineTracer. Uh, eventually they gave me a developer grant, which was great. So they give you uh, developers, you apply for it, you just get a big chunk of cash with no strings attached. And you know the only deal is keep building the project that you're building. So I got a big uh, developer grant from Epic Games. So shout out, thanks again for that. It was very helpful, especially being pre-revenue before we released, I think. I think it was before we released or before it was big anyway. And so they were supporting CineTracer from the beginning. You know, they kind of planted the seed, the inception of the project. Then they continued to fund it before we were making any money with it. And we released it. 
And, you know, it was a slow start in the beginning for sure. But I actually came out to the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco earlier earlier this year. It's called GDC. It's where all the game developers from all the world get together and talk about and present tech and, you know, all meet each other and hang out. So I got to go to that with them. And I actually presented Cinetracer to a secret group of uh, film industry people there. And that's the first time I got to really meet them, got to meet Kim Library. And there's just so many people. If I if I was to name everyone at Epic Games that I'm uh, grateful to, it would be a whole podcast. Um, so I got to meet them at GDC, do a presentation. They got to meet me, see Cinetracer. And then the next thing we did together was go to the FMX conference in Germany. You might have seen some of that stuff from Instagram. And I presented Cinetracer there to a, at the time, was a very large audience for me. I think it was a couple hundred people. Presented it, uh, the live or not the live, the recording of that presentation is on my YouTube channel. So if you go to Cinematography DB and check out FMX, uh, I do a live demo of Cinetracer for about an hour and I talk about why it's important for the film industry and what I'm trying to get done. So I met a lot of people there, even more Epic Games people. Um, uh, there was another secret project after that and that we can't, I don't, I'm not allowed to talk about, I guess. Um, but then after that secret project came out, um, or I don't know if it came out, but it's after that was over, uh, SIGGRAPH was about to happen. So SIGGRAPH is a huge computer conference. It's like the computer graphics conference of like the world, I would say. And uh, they invited me to present at the Unreal Engine booth, which was great. And I did that videos on the Epic Games Unreal Engine YouTube channel. And I got to present at the user group, which is kind of like Epic Games, like offsite big presentation for all the Unreal Engine users and people who use Unreal Engine. So it was also like a lot of film industry people were at that. So I got to present at that big one. That was like a live keynote type situation. I got like super sick and nervous during that one. That was fun. But basically I've been working closer and closer with Epic Games. They support Cinetracer and they also understand now, I think after speaking for so long, my past experience in the film industry. So I'm and kind of a, a weird combination of traditional cinematography, film industry knowledge, and also now real-time graphics for the last year and a half and computer graphics the last like five to eight years. So they needed someone for this demo to actually shoot this because we have an actual camera. We need someone to DP the project, like consider what lighting is going to look good, you know, bring that aesthetic, but then also be the person that could present it to production people that would want to hear from a DP's point of view. Because this stuff is traditionally very VFX heavy. So you're talking the VFX supervisors and, you know, lead CG lead and, and whatnot. But for this demo, because this involves a real camera, we have a full camera crew. We have a first AC. It's like everyone you would normally have. We have a gaffer, a key grip, etc. They needed an actual DP. So I think I just fit that role pretty well. Having been a cinematographer for 10 years, whatever, um, I guess I don't I don't know I guess I still am a cinematographer but I stopped being a professional one after about you know 10 11 years um, my background with that and then also understanding Unreal Engine and what's gonna look good in Unreal Engine and what looks good in real life um, you know uh, Juan Gomez shout out I believe was the first person to reach out about the project from Epic Games and it sounded awesome I was also already gonna be in LA for SIGGRAPH so that's how my involvement uh, came to be in this project so shout out uh, Juan and the whole Epic Games team. This was a really fun one for me. So let's talk about the timeline of this real quick. So 
For me, uh, I came in and I was there for about a month. So the first week when I came in, the walls were already up and the general system was already running, but the art direction and whatnot hadn't really been locked in completely. So that's typically when a DP comes in. It's like a lot of the infrastructure is already built. The art department's already done their thing. So I wasn't there for the previs of this project. But for the first week, we were setting up the cameras, uh, setting up the jib, and getting the crew and meeting everybody. Uh, we were there for a long haul. This was a big project. And just getting everything up and running from a technical point of view and starting to work out, you know, what lighting setups look great. Right. So I immediately jumped in there and I was like, let's load up a dark sunset scene and a bunch of things that I think most DPs would want to see. It's like, can I make, you know, how much can I control the lighting? What do the bright scenes look like? What does it look like if it's, you know, fully dark, like silhouette, etc. And we just started going through and making direction changes based on the cinematographer, director, quote unquote, point of view here. Like, what shots do I want to be able to do? What kind of lighting do I want? And for me, it's just this rapid amount of learning. Like, okay, this is the first time I've ever done a shoot like this. And just finding out the do's, the don'ts, and just a full week of basically R&D for me. Uh, the second week we start to lock it in, like we have to build a presentation, a live presentation that we're gonna build. So like a script, we're gonna do this presentation like hundreds of times. I don't even know how many times I've done this script, it's crazy. But we have to come up with a live demo that we're gonna present to the film industry in person. And then we also are, for the second week now, filming behind the scenes constantly. So that's what that, that video that has 3 million views, we filmed that for a week uh, off and on, basically. And it was kind of the behind the scenes ramping up to the actual presentation of it. Uh, week three for me was SIGGRAPH. So I spoke at the user group and presented at the booth. And by the end of that week, we were presenting it to the actual industry. I mean, like everybody. It was it was pretty interesting to see everyone's reaction. Like the biggest studios in the world were there considering like, you know, does this make sense for the next movie, the next TV show, etc. Um, you can imagine who would come to that sort of thing. And we presented um, for all the people that had come in out of town to SIGGRAPH. So this happened at SIGGRAPH. A lot of people flew in from all over the world to see it to see SIGGRAPH, and then they also came to this. Uh, it was an invite event only. And then the following week, the fourth week, we did presentations to like uh, mostly Los Angeles-based companies, which is a lot, um, and, and studios and whatnot. And the two fun ones for me was that we did two mixers <laughs> at night. So after like a full day of presenting this thing, we did like three-hour versions of it where we kind of hung out after. And the first one was for the American Society of Cinematographers. So shout out to all the ASC DPs that came out to that one. It was really great to meet everybody. Um, and then the second mixer we did was for the International Cinematographers Guild, which is the union, essentially 600 out in the U.S. And um, a lot of 600 DPs and ACs and operators came to that. Uh, I got to hang out with Matt Libatique. We talked a little bit. Um, Hopefully we get to, we're going to hang out next time we, I go to LA and do some ASC stuff, uh, which we'll talk about in the future. And so that was my four weeks at the project. So a full week of prep, uh, a full week of filming in BTS and continuing to evolve it. Then another week of SIGGRAPH and big presentations, and then a full week of more presentations. So that's what was going on for the full week there. Uh, I did end up taking a full month off of Cinetracer development, but I considered this worth it. First of all, I needed a break, like a programming break. So this was that for sure. I was interested always to 
see what it would like to be on set again, even though this wasn't like a normal movie or, or TV show. Uh, we did go through my agency, Gersh, so shout out uh, Tara and Patty from Gersh Production uh, for holding down this project for me and helping them organize it and book it and whatnot. Um, so it was a really great way for me to be on set again, to shoot, uh, to be with a camera, and then also to really meet and be introduced even deeper into the actual like film industry. So I met a lot of people. A lot of people saw the keynote that I gave at the uh, user group. So I got to meet a lot of people networking, be on set, do a job for a month, which is pretty incredible after not shooting for like, I think like two years. It was my last like real, like big commercial campaign. Um, and then also just seeing the, the direction that virtual production and all of this kind of weird melding of film industry and video games together and VFX, what's that looking like? What does it look like on set today? What's it likely going to look like in the future? And all of that helps me kind of plan for Cinetracer and all the projects that I'm interested in as well. So that was the timeline of the project and also kind of like my like, um, kind of like mental involvement and motivations for being part of it. So all this technology, all this money, what, what is the point of this, right? What are the new concepts? What do I tell my friends? <laughs> what do I tell the studio heads that are paying for this, right? What, what is the point of this? What we're doing is we're capturing live action sets, so mostly live action, real actors, and we're capturing them in the virtual environment through the camera all at once, right? Typically, when you're going to do a real actor in a virtual environment, that means green screens. So you're going to put the actor on a green screen and you're going to figure it out later what goes back there. And that's going to make a certain type of visual and movie and workflow. But the people that really miss out once you put a green screen up are the director, the actor, and the DP. And I'm sure other people as well, but those are the ones I'm thinking about. When you push those decisions into post, into later, because you have to for a lot of the reasons, right? Like you don't have the volcano exploding yet, and it's, you know, we weren't doing in-camera VFX at that point in the past, you strip out the kind of um, foundation of how live production works that's been evolving over the last, you know, 100 years or so, are the decisions that the director and the DP and the actor want to make based on what they're seeing, because no one sees anything. You just see green. You're acting against nothing, right? It's, it's not natural. It doesn't feel very good from the DP's point of view. I can say having done many, many green screen projects and none the size of like a Marvel or Disney movie, which is the same company now, but you know, decent sized productions where we're doing this kind of stuff. And without the, without seeing it altogether, it's hard to have that, that chemistry and that, you know, magic that happens with the director, DP, actor, and, and all heads of department. When we all see the image and we're all there live making it happen together, we miss that magic right? When it goes into green screen world. And it has to, it had to, it had to be that way for quite a while. What we're doing is we're making all those decisions now happen on set again through the camera. Okay. So that's, that's the point. So, um, those are the main concepts and technology wise, uh, we are tracking the camera's position. So when you move the camera, you're actually going to see the virtual world's perspective change. So you'll have parallax, like you can see behind something that you couldn't as you move, the horizon shifting. And that's something that wasn't possible before with traditional uh, rear projection techniques or even what they did on Oblivion. If they moved the camera, 
those were linear plates and projections of skies, right? I mean, they're so far away that really wasn't parallax, but if you moved the camera, those projections would never change. In this environment, because it's Unreal Engine, because it's real time, the virtual world's perspective is actually changing as you move the real world camera. If you watch the videos on that, you'll, you'll sort of see that. You have to see it in person to really get it, but uh, the combination of YouTube videos and this podcast, this is the best I can do for someone who wasn't there for it. So those are, that's a new concept is the virtual world is actually live and, and moves when you move the real camera. And it just makes it look like the perspective is actually real. Through the camera, it looks like you're actually moving a camera. It's not just like you're filming against a painting of a mountain. It makes it more actually feel like you're in that location. And the third and possibly most important concept for cinematographers is that we are completely surrounding the live action set in LED walls. And in the LED walls is the actual 3D environment. So typically for a green screen, it's like, okay, so you're, uh, you're in the desert, right? And the sun's loosely over here. How are you going to match the lighting, right? So you put up what space lights and you, right, at this point, they're probably, you know, um, probably sky panel space lights at this point. And you might have like one 10K or a 12K to be the sun. And you don't really know what the background's gonna be. So it's hard to commit to anything like really like really strong colors or even contrast ratios because you don't really know yet. With this, because the actual virtual world is in the screens, those screens actually light the, the real world and the talent. So you load up the virtual world and by default, off the truck, you get this really great lighting quality that is very nuanced. It's not just a bunch of, you know, one color white quote unquote space lights from above and a white key light from the side. You're getting a very rich image that is actually lighting the person. And it looks pretty incredible out of the gate, right? There's a lot of tweaking to do once you know the shot and the emotion you're going for, right? You're going to augment it like you would augment the real world, but off off the truck, <laughs> out of the gate, you get some really nice lighting that is basically not possible uh, any other way with traditional film industry lights. You, you can't do this. You're gonna need these LED walls. And on top of it, you get reflections, which is the other thing. So reflections and translucency and all these other things, they come for free, quote unquote, in this style of shooting. And it's a pretty awesome environment to shoot in. And there's a lot more to go into. I think we'd have to be on set together on the production to really show it, but the virtual world lights the real world. This is a huge concept here. Uh, it'll make more and more sense as you see more of these productions come out that are doing this, and it's a new tool for DPs to use, right? This isn't this isn't the future of filmmaking, like everything is gonna be like this. It's a future, a tool for certain productions. So for the next part, we're kind of focusing on why should directors and DPs care? So we talked about bringing all of this stuff that's usually kind of a disconnected process with live action and then post-production where we're taking this together in virtual production. The concept really is to bring it all together at the same time. So with the directors now, the director can see what the background is going to be and direct it and direct the actor's performance based on it. You're like, oh, there's there's subtle things that happen. It's like, oh, yeah, actually the, the sky is a little bit purplish right now. That's gonna affect how I wanna frame it and, and maybe even how the actors are supposed to be 
uh, performing against it. And the actors see it as well, and the DPs see it. So now the DP is like, okay, well, like, okay, this is the purple sky and the mountains look like this. The DP can then say, you know, I want the virtual sun to be a little bit more over there, and I want to add a little bit more haze. And you're all making these decisions live together and watching it, and this is not normally how it works with VFX, right? Normally the DP and the director are definitely not together in post-production choosing the sun directions and whatnot. And they essentially, in a lot of cases, just get like, well, that's how we shot it. And like, that's how we're going to have to match it in CG. And it's not the same live creative uh, artistic process. It's more of a technical execution as far as matching real world lighting and virtual lighting. They've done a good job. There's a lot of good movies that have made great visuals with this, you know, green screen style way of production. But this is the new workflow. And that's why directors and DPs, I think, should be for this for certain shooting cases is because you get to make decisions on set together again. Um, I would say the next part is one as a slightly more political one is that typically, right, who has the power in a virtual, in a virtual, you know, type of shoot, right, with green screens and whatnot, the DPs, as soon as it goes green screen, what the DP has to say and their input, it's just worth less than it is when it's a fully traditional set, right? When you're looking through the camera and everything is real, the DP decides what even shows up. Where do we put the light? Where do I frame? You know, the DP is controlling so much of that process, right? Getting the input from the director. They make a lot of decisions on the visuals, right? That's like what cinematography is supposed to be about. As soon as it's green screen, the decision of what even goes in the background is now part of visual effects, right? That's a VFX supervisor and the director and another team. So immediately the DP doesn't even choose what's in frame, um, how it's going to be lit, whatnot. So the the inception of it, the previs, the DP is not usually that present in it. They may be, um, but it's not mandated at all. The execution of the live action, for sure the DP is there, but they don't have the full picture. They're just, no one has it yet, right? A lot of this is going to come together later. And then when it comes to having it come together later, again, the DPs are not part of that process of lighting it. So switch to this new paradigm where you actually have to upfront have as much as you can possibly get all the digital sets built so that the DPs can then light it live on set there. This puts the DPs back on top of making a lot of the visual calls that they're used to making on live action sets. If you shoot in the LED volume like this, in this style where you're going for final pixel, because there's a couple different variations on this, we're not gonna cover them on this podcast. If you do it this way, DPs, you get to make the calls on the live action lighting and the virtual lighting. So that's that's a big deal, right? I don't know how many of you have been feeling the the shift in, in how things work on set if you've been working on these v- bigger VFX projects. This brings it back to the way it used to be. And I like that a whole lot. So let's get to the title of the podcast, what is a virtual gaffer, right? And so this goes together with the question, uh, who controls the virtual set? So you have a Unreal Engine scene somewhere uh, on the server, and that's going into the screens. 
And it's just like Cinetracer, to be honest. It's a more powerful, a better version of Cinetracer for sure. It's more complicated, but you can create worlds there. You build maps, um, you have virtual environments, and those end up on the screen, and those end up in camera. So just like you would in the real world, if you have a virtual, or if you have a real world set piece and someone needs to move it or change the color of it, you would call the art department. In a virtual set where we're capturing that in camera, you have the virtual art department. And in our case, that was Magnopus, and it was also Juan Gomez from Epic Games running it. And you have people who are doing virtual art, doing art department roles, but they're doing it virtually. But you do it the same way, right? The same calls go out. It's like, oh, can we spin that house a little bit? Can we add a little bit of water over there? Can we make that look more wet? All that stuff happens in the same hierarchy as you would. It's just now virtual. But the new one, the one that's tricky, that the unions are going to be deciding about how it goes down and whatnot, is who controls the virtual lighting, right? And there's a lot of different ways of doing virtual lighting, but just say simply, who controls what sky goes up, right? You can change it to whatever sky you want. You can go photograph your own sky. It can be a video sequence of a real sky. It can be a fully procedural virtual sky, which is the way I like to work. Who controls that? Because in this case, the sky, when it's on the screens, is one art department. Typically, it would be a translate or something like that because you actually see it. So like what type of clouds go up there, right? It's also lighting because it's going to light the actors. And it's also um, kind of a visual effects uh, department role as well because it's a virtual sky, right? So who on set now makes that call? And I generally, as far as I'm moving forward, not that I'm probably going to be the DP on any of these gigantic TV shows and movies that are using this, I just try to simplify it and say it's the virtual gaffer, right? And a gaffer on of normal production, I talk to them and I'm like, you know, uh, I want it to be a little bit brighter on that part of the set. And uh, I want something that's a little bit softer when he walks onto that mark, right? From this direction. And it's kind of high level creative uh, wants that I, I tell the gaffer and they're gonna go implement that. And I might have no idea what they're doing, right? And on a big enough set, I shouldn't know and I shouldn't really care too, too much, right? There's a trust level with the gaffer. They go put together the formula of like, well, it's, it's 50 sky panels and then we're gonna have a lighting board operator that's controlling it with, you know, a grand MA, etc. That's for them to deal with. I might be interested in the technical execution on a smaller set where I have to be more hands-on, but essentially on a big set, I'm working on the high-level stuff and the next setup and big picture stuff, and we have a crew that is specialized in doing that. So I don't even know necessarily what they're doing exactly, but I know the result I want, and it's a team effort. On a virtual set, that's the way I would want to work. So I'm like, uh, in the demo we had here, Matt Madden, is our virtual production supervisor, virtual production artist. For me, that's a virtual gaffer. That's what, I, that's what I'm gonna call you. I'm not sure, it's, his role is, I think, above that, but as far as mentally thinking about, well, who's making these changes for me, right? Who am I talking to? Who does this? That is the virtual gaffer or the virtual production supervisor. And it was Matt Madden uh, for this demo. And Matt actually did this exact same role, which I would love to talk to him about when this big project drops on the world that everyone's going to see. Let me just tell you much. This, pro this is not a small indie project. This is like everyone in the world will be watching this. He was that person on that show.
So he has all the experience and he was teaching me how to, you know, how it typically goes down because there's no typically, yeah, there's just one gigantic project that's done this so far. Um, he was telling me how it works uh, on their sets, like what kind of virtual lights they're putting up, how the cadence works. And this stuff is all in flow. It's in flux, right? It's going to change per show. But he had just done a very big one where he was the quote unquote virtual gaffer. And uh, it's pretty cool. You make the same calls. You're like, you know, spin this sky. I mean, there's different calls now, but spin the sky. Let's look at different skies. Let's put a light over there. Let's do negative fill here, etc. cetera. Uh, all that, I'm just piping my, I'm looking through the camera. I'm looking at the monitor. I'm just saying, okay, this is what I want to see change, just like it was live action. And then the virtual gaffer goes and executes that also with the virtual art department and the VFX crew if, if it gets really, like, really involved with, like, smoke and whatnot. But... The point is that from the director and the DP's point of view on set is it's the same cadence, right? I see something I want to change, I say it to the right person, and it's going to happen, right? And in a lot of cases, because it's all virtual, it happens instantly, and you can do a lot of changes that you would never be able to do on live action because it is a virtual. So that is the answer. Not a clickbait title. That is a virtual gaffer. In my point of view, they're also doing a lot more than just, quote-unquote, what the gaffer's responsibility is, but... We will see over time how the unions and how these responsibilities get divvied up. Although one person can control basically everything from one iPad in our case. We had an iPad that was driving the entire set uh, on set. The unions might break that up a little bit more traditionally with art department and lighting and, you know, uh, how it typically runs for safety and whatnot. So it'll be interesting to see. But for now, when I'm on set, I always just think of the virtual production supervisor who's literally sitting next to me and listening to what we're trying to get done, I just think of it as a virtual gaffer. Okay, so that's that's loosely what it means for the, the DPs and the directors and how this kind of is shifting um, how things work on set. So what does this mean for production? So what this means is that you're going to have to do a lot of pre-production, right? Previs. Um, on a typical VFX-based television show, um, especially more than feature films, it's not uncommon to start shooting before the script is done. And if the script isn't done, you definitely don't have all the concept art and you don't know what the virtual world's gonna look like. Picture like a Game of Thrones. Like, well, that's that's a very specific execution. But shows like that, they'll just start shooting people on green screens, and they don't really know exactly what's gonna go back there, right? They have a general idea, of course. I mean, these are professionals, but they don't really know. That doesn't fly on this type of a shoot with the LED volumes because you need to have as close to final pixel as possible on the shoot day. Okay, so the scripts have to get locked earlier. The environments need to be produced ahead of time. And all this stuff that's usually like months to years of post-production now needs to be months to years of pre-production. And that is a major change for the production department, right? From budgeting, scheduling, of how visual effects as an industry works isn't that, right? So that's a big part of the education is to get the benefits of the system is a lot of this stuff moves from post into pre-production, which as someone who makes their living uh, developing a pre-production app, I am all for it. So that, <laughs> that works out for me quite well. 
uh, and perhaps is why this podcast is even happening. Um, but that's the main one. And that's, you know, a, a lot of the VFX industry people who I, who came to the demos and saw it, that's an immediate one. They're not against it, but it is just different. And that is the, the main thing that is going to have to change, uh, to make this all possible. And for me, uh, as again, as a cinematographer and a developer of, of previous <laughs> software, I would love it if, because all this pre-production now is happening beforehand and the pre-production previs actually becomes the actually captured background that the DPs, the cinematographers, the ones that are willing to jump into this kind of new ecosystem, that they have a lot more say in pre-production because it matters, right? The DPs before, if they were like part of previs, they weren't part of the final lighting of the virtual assets, right? So like why bring them in, right? They might have some loose consultation on it and overall image tweaking things that they want done, but they're not there for the inception and they're not there for the final execution in a traditional green screen set. When you're capturing the final pixel on the production day through the lens again, all of a sudden the DPs really should be part of pre-production and I'm hoping to help make that happen for DPs for more, you know, authorship of the image uh, in pre-production and in regular production, virtual production. And I'm also hoping to build the tools to help make DPs lives easier to do that. Cinetracer is kind of the offline that you can do on your home computer type of pre-production system, but then also helping to build out really high-end professional systems built directly into Unreal Engine so that when you're on the big, big sets, those are not being run by Cinetracer, that's being run by Unreal Engine, that the same tool set is there and the language and hopefully just standardizing all of this for the DPs as it moves into this like virtually hybrid environment. That's why I like to work with the ASC, ICG, and the VFX and the previous industries to make sure that we're all speaking the same language because um, if we're not, there can be some tensions on set, which you may have uh, encountered on, on such a production where there's so much money, technical things going wrong are really bad. Um, and a lot of it just comes down to proper communication between everybody. I hope to be uh, an agent in making that process much smoother. So what are the big takeaways for DPs here? So this is nothing other than a new tool set, right? And the, now this is, this is YouTube, so I don't, I don't, I don't judge the YouTube um, comments to be people who are in the film industry, but the number one comment when this demo went out is like, oh, isn't it cheaper just to film in the real world, right? And the answer is, it depends. It depends on the production, but you know, if you've been on set, go watch the making of The Revenant. Being outside and fighting the elements and having to deal with light changing and weather and just like kind of the randomness, there's beautiful results that can happen from this. The, the proof of that is the last hundred years of filmmaking, but there are production realities of this that make shooting outside in a lot of cases very impractical, very difficult for sound, for everything. And Although you can get great results, if you talk to the head creatives, it, so much of it is gambling, right? And you just gamble with the weather and you gamble with this stuff. For a lot of creatives, they would rather just have the actual control of it as long as it still looks good, as long as they can get the images and the emotion and the story told. If it's a virtual execution, then it's a virtual execution. I just want to make the film I want to make. I want the lighting I want. I want the images I want. I don't want to have to gamble with the weather, right? That's one part of it. The other part is that, hey, Guess what? Game of Thrones, 
those sets don't really exist in real life. And Marvel, hey, guess what? Those cities don't exist, right? So there's, these executions have to be virtual, right? If you had to build them, it would never exist. You would never actually do it. That's been green screens and whatnot. And uh, this is just another way of putting real-world actors into virtual environments that you have control over. This is a tool and a technique for that, right? So why not shoot it in the real world? Well, guess what? Most of the movies that we shoot are on a soundstage in a practically fake built set with fake backgrounds out the windows anyway. It might be a translight, but that's not the real outside environment out there. It's the same paradigm here where you're going to have real people, but you'll have virtual worlds instead. So this is, I, I know from people in like actual production who shoot this stuff, it's like, it's Hollywood. This is all make-believe anyway, but I, I think that there's a huge disconnect with the general audience who just accepts it as like, oh yeah, it's reality. That's because this the VFX is so good at this point that I think people watch a lot of these movies and they're like, oh, they actually shot this, right? This is like actually real because they can't tell anymore. That's... That is, a, a, that is definitely a misconception I see out there uh, when it comes to this. And so for the DPs, it's easy to, to get distracted by what I, I would say is that noise of like, oh, why would you, why do it this way? We could do it the other way. It's just another tool set where like if you want to control the virtual world and put people into environments for whatever reason, because the environment doesn't exist, because shooting in the actual zero degree weather is terrible and your lights don't turn on and the cameras don't work, there's a lot of reasons to go for this way, and it's just another technique of doing this. Shoot on, shoot on a stage, shoot in the real world, do a hybrid. This is just another one of those tools that will make sense for certain shots and certain scenes, certain movies, TV shows, and it won't make sense for everything, but it's just another tool. The other big takeaway for me for DPs is that when the ASC came in and the ICG, a lot of them, it's like, okay, this is new. It feels weird. I don't really understand this at all. A lot of them were interested in like, okay, what do I have to learn technology-wise, right? Do I have to learn Unreal Engine? Do I have to, you know, learn how to program and code? And the answer is really no to all of that, you know? We're, we're trying to build these tool sets. I mean, I'm doing a very small part. I say we and because, you know, that's like Unreal Engine and, and the main developers of this stuff. But they're trying to make it so that this is intuitive and fits into the current live-action production pipeline. So as the DP, you should just bring your aesthetics, the way you like to film, the way you like to light, the way you work with directors, the way you work creatively with a team, your knowledge of all the movies and, and editing and all the normal film production knowledge that makes you the DP that is on that set. Those are the tools that we want you to have um, and be able to put into practice on virtual worlds. So long answer, a short answer is that, no, you don't have to learn any of this new technology um, to be able to do your job properly on this set. That's the whole point, is that it works the way that it used to. Now, if you want to really get into this, like the DPs that like really care about color science and compression and different lighting technologies and different lenses and what techniques are possible when you're using motion control, for those DPs, I would say start with CineTracer for sure. I don't mean this as like a sales pitch because like, there aren't that many of you, like just like sales number wise, like if every DP in the world bought this, it's, it's, it's not that many people uh, in the grand scheme of things. I mean, I, I hope that you do, but I hope that you do because I want to be able to help standardize this whole thing, make it so that like, okay, let's previs for one to shoot like this and not have it be 50 different tools. Let's standardize around Unreal Engine, around CineTracer as an interface for that. And um, like I said, I think getting started with CineTracer is very affordable. The most expensive thing you're going to need is the hardware to run it. 
start to play around with virtual lights. Um, Cinetracer is made so that it's intelligible to uh, live action production people, which basically no other 3D application uh, approaches it that way. And then uh, as time goes on, if you end up on one of these sets and you're seeing Unreal Engine, the actual Unreal Engine driving everything, and you have questions, hey, how, you know, how does lighting work in Unreal Engine? Because that's the lighting that goes on the virtual set. Then you start to dig a little bit deeper under, in, into Unreal Engine. And if you're, I would say, uh, not to be ageist or whatever, but like if you're a young cinematographer with a little bit of time on their hands, Unreal Engine is free. I would definitely install it. Start to just mess around with it, you know, casually. Have fun with it. Um, and I will say that for many, many productions moving forward, knowing uh, just a little bit about Unreal Engine uh, in the context of how it's working, and there's a lot of tutorials out there, and I'll probably start making some myself on the actual engine, having that knowledge combined with traditional cinematography, that is a strong place to be uh, moving into the future. Cool, so that wraps it up for this podcast of Neo Cinetech 2 in the can already. Uh, the last podcast and this one are really what were really the genesis of this podcast and me wanting to talk uh, a little bit longer and give context around this project. I know that this is kind of a niche thing for now. Uh, cinematography in general is niche and then com combining it with such high-end technology again is kind of niche as well, but I'm in a position to talk about it I'm building software solutions for it, and I wanna just have something a little bit more long form out there that talks about the direction of this, the whys, the hows, who is it for, how's it being used. And I think for the podcast coming out, uh, I'm not planning on being on set too much again. If a, if a really cool project comes, I would consider it, but I'm really coming at this more from uh, building tools for the everyday filmmaker and then also transitioning it into tools that will work for very high-end productions as well. Um, and that is really the goal with the Cinematography Database as a brand, uh, is building tools, education for this type of stuff, which is why I was on YouTube for so much. We started with really basic, basic stuff, but uh, you'll start to see the Cinematography Database brand and content start to really evolve around this a lot more. I'd like to teach Unreal Engine for filmmakers who want to learn it and use it and start to dive into this. Um, there are a number of indie filmmakers who are just one man band or two or three people studios that are already starting to build their solutions uh, on like a lower, you know, lower tech version of this that isn't as expensive. There's a lot of stuff that can be done that was never possible before when you start to combine filmmaking with specifically Unreal Engine, you know, real time graphics with the screens, virtual characters. There is a lot happening here. And I think we are right at the precipice of a new type of, you know, quote unquote, DSLR revolution, right? When DSLRs came out and it enabled uh, a lot more people to get into filmmaking, I would consider the whole YouTube ecosystem to be kind of from the DSLR revolution. How many of those YouTubers are using DSLRs, I think almost all of them. The quality is up, the money is up from it, the economics is a whole new ecosystem happening because of DSLRs and you know it being easier to film at higher quality and edit and whatnot. We're gonna see the same thing where you're like, oh, if you want like incredible VFX, that's only for like, you know, Star Wars and like really big projects. I think we're gonna be seeing a lot of people taking from the DSLR revolution, moving into this kind of 
again, I don't love the word virtual production, but kind of like a virtual production revolution where you're going to have visual effects at an insanely high level being used by non-massive studios and they're going to look great and it's going to be able to make a whole new wave and generation of content. I'm very excited for this. I'm hoping to help people get to that point over the technical technical hurdles and also build software that makes it uh, possible for them to do that. So more on that as the future uh, comes. That is my focus with Cinematography Database, with CineTracer, and this podcast, Neo Cinetech, is to kind of enable and help the new, uh, for now, we'll call virtual production revolution. So that wraps it up for the episode. Thanks so much for watching or listening, probably just listening. Hit me up on Twitter, at CineDatabase, on Instagram, CinematographyDB, or CineTracer. And I'll see you guys on the next episode. Peace.